these passages from Acts chapter 4, verse 34b to chapter 5, verse 14. For from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in, the Solom in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, uh, church. I'm so glad and thankful to be with you uh, this morning. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here at Lord's Love. I thank Emily just for reading our scripture and also uh, the team uh, from North Shore, PG, NBC, <laughs> uh, for coming and leading us to the throne of God this morning. Today we're continuing on in our series uh, on the book of Acts and what a passage it is. You're like, man, I just came here for some good news this morning. <laughs> and you're like, Doug, what's going to happen uh, through this passage? We'll see there is good news uh, through the scripture this morning. But today I do want to talk to you about what it means to be all in. Uh, what does it mean to be all in for the gospel? What does it mean to be all in for Christ? What does it mean to be all in for the sake of God uh, and his kingdom and what he's doing here on earth? And this, this week I got a chance to read uh, an article at the Gospel Coalition written by Basil Ostrie. Uh, he's a pastor at Urban, Urban Bible Church in Kiev, Ukraine. He's also a professor of youth ministry there. And as you know, what's going on in Ukraine, the war that's happening, the invasion that's happening, all the suffering that's going on there. He wrote this article about his experience, how he feels called and his wife and his family and his church to stay put and to serve and to love the people there. And he wrote this chilling piece this week, and I'll just read quotes uh, from it. He was saying how in the recent weeks, 
uh, nearly all the missionaries have been told to leave Ukraine and the Western nations have evacuated their embassies and their citizens and traffic is being loaded into the highways and people are disappearing. He's asking the question of where have all the people gone? Where have all the businessmen and where are those that are able to afford to leave? Where is it exactly that they're going? And they're leaving for right reasons, uh, which is to save their family and to flee war. And he says this, my wife and I have decided to remain in our city near Kiev. We want to serve the people here along with Urban Bible Church where I joined the team in 2016. In anticipating of, com of the coming disaster, we bought a supply of food, medicine, and fuel so that if necessary, we will be able to help those in need rather than burden them. And he asked this, how should the church respond when there is a growing threat of war, when there is a constant fear in society? And he says this, I'm convinced that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. Wow, as I read pastors from uh, words from this pastor who I do not know I'm not I'm not yet I say thank you pastor for pastoring me from afar for speaking to my heart for speaking to our situation because during that critical moment for him and his church in a city where they normally attend on every single Sunday they've changed their church into a training ground teaching people how to do first aid people are now learning to apply a tourniquet to stop bleeding apply bandages and manage airways and these lay people aren't going to be doctors as he writes but this has given them a confidence to care for those that they call their neighbors in fact he says when i first announced the first aid training one brother told me now i know why i need to stay in ukraine what my purpose is how i can care and love for those around me and he says if necessary our church will continue to transform not into a military base, but a hospital for the sick. A place to care for those uh, that are suffering, those that are experiencing hardship. I'm thinking for us today, that what does it mean for us to be a church? What does it mean for us to be all in? What does it mean for us if we call ourselves Christians and followers of God that ex experience the grace and the love of Jesus? What does it mean for us here in Vancouver in 2022 to be all in for the gospel? And this week I was driving my kids, after reading that article, I was driving my my son Cohen to school and I was picking him up from school and I saw two busloads of kids that's being dropped off. I don't know where they went, probably skating or something like that in the city. And I would count maybe around 80 of them. And as I was looking at them, I was reminded of what CIM Canada and the organizations that we're part of this week on the ground where they sent busloads buses over to eastern Ukraine to transport 80 children across the country to their shelter, the House of Mercy and to care for them and to love them. What does it mean for us as the church there and the people there on the ground are giving their all? What does it mean for us here to give our all? And I would urge us today, this morning, as Christians that, and as people who have experienced the gospel, that have experienced the goodness of God, to care deeply about justice and care deeply about mercy, care deeply about the heart of God and what breaks His heart. Because as I read that article in uh, from that pastor in Kiev, this isn't normal what he is doing and the church and the people there. It's not normal for people to stay where, when there's war and when there's pain. But when you're transformed by Jesus, it transforms all of you. It changes all of you. It calls you to be closer to him, to do things that you never thought you were able to do, not because of you, but because of the spirit that's alive in us. And today, the passage speaks of an example for us, a good example and also not so good example of what it means to be all in. 
A good example in Barnabas, and not so good example of Elias and Sapphira. And here, as we continue on in this series, we see that the early church, it's been exploding. Guys, like the things that have been going on in the church there was amazing. The church is growing, disciples being made, people being baptized, they're listening to the gospel and responding. God was doing amazing things. They're preaching, they're healing, they're healing and caring for the sick, they're feeding the poor, taking care of the poor. And then we reach chapter 5 here where it seems to come to a stop. And I'm like, God, I don't want to preach this passage today. This is a hard passage. But we've been going through the series called the Book of Acts, Gospel in Motion, where after the studying the Gospel of Luke, where people came to understand the Gospel, and they got to see Jesus a bit clearer and understand the Gospel a bit better, now we see in Acts what happens when people take the Gospel and they go with it. And they embody the Gospel, they live out the Gospel. The Gospel goes into motion no matter where it is that they're going. And today we're going to be going through a really bad story. And we could have skipped this, I could have gone on. Let's go to the good, like the better parts, the parts that preach a little bit better, maybe. But hey, guys, we preach through the gospel, right? We preach through the Bible, every verse, because there's a truth for us there today. Well, what happened here in chapter five? Jesus called what happened here hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, which means wearing a mask or playing an actor. Hypocrisy is a deliberate deception, trying to make people think. We are better or more spiritual than we really are. In the early church, even though they're exploding and God's doing amazing things here, the early church gets an early glimpse, an early taste of hypocrisy. A Scottish author and pastor, George MacDonald, once said, half the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. In a previous passage, a previous sermon, we've talked about this, how hypocrisy hurts people. There's real pain and real suffering that comes from this hypocrisy that we may be living out. And you see when Satan, when he can't get at the church from the outside, what does he do? He aims and attacks the church from the inside. He knows how we work. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your desires. He knows what makes you tick. Even those that are genuine Christians, he's able to have them and tempt them to follow his orders. And we read here in Acts 5.3 today that Satan is the one who's filling their heart. Ananias and Sapphira, he's the one that's filling their heart. That their mission, Ananias and Sapphira's mission, wasn't for God at that moment, but they're motivated by Satan, not the Holy Spirit. And quoting from another commentary, we read this, that we have learned that the Spirit-filled church is unified, magnified, and multiplied. But Satan wants to divide the church, disgrace the church, and decrease the church. And he would do it if we let him. And when Satan can't get at the church from the outside, he gets at it, tries to get at it from the inside. And that's where we need to understand here this morning what it means to be all in for us. That God is after your heart, but so is Satan. He's after your heart. He wants to distract you. He wants to tempt you. He wants to bring you away from the goodness of God and all the things that he has for you. But for us today, as we think about that and ponder that, I implore you to think about this big idea. What I'm hoping we'll leave with today is that being all in means giving it all up. Giving it all up. Whatever it is that we have, we say it is God's so that Satan has nothing to tempt us with, really. That we're really giving it all up. That all of it belongs to God. That God wants your whole heart. He's not after your stuff. Right? He's after your heart. As Max Lucado, he says this, said this once, he not only wants your whole heart, he wants your heart 
to be whole. He wants you to experience his goodness. He wants you to know who he is. And if I haven't quoted enough quotes, here's another one for you. <laughs> From A.W. Tozer, an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part. No, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Jesus has given himself wholly and fully to you and to us and to his church. That he's given you more than enough. He has given us himself. Now we're reading the beginning of the passage here in verse uh, chapter uh, 4, uh, verse 36. You can go to the next slide for me. Uh, Joseph, is that the next slide? Anyway, I'm, I'm reading from verse 36. Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we see here that Joseph, he sells a field, he gives all the proceeds to the church, and after this, he has his name changed. He gets a nice little nickname named Barnabas, which means son of encouragement because the church is so encouraged by what he has just done. No one does what he just did. He just sold his field. He's given everything to the church for the cause of the church and the mission of the church for the sake of the kingdom of God. And no one does that. So the church is encouraged, changes name, and get this, has his name written in the Bible that we read here today. He ends up being a ministry partner with the apostles throughout the rest of Acts. Then people that were there listening in and seeing this, like Ananias, like Sapphira, see and hear this and say, hey, you see that? You see this, what happened to Barnabas? Man, that's how you get your name written in the Bible. That's how you get all the glory. That's how you get the fame. That's how you get noticed. That's how you become important. And then chapter five starts, off really not with but but instead of now now this is what happens now barnabas he sold the field and gave everything but ananias and sapphira they sold the field as well and they gave a portion but they actually kept part uh, said they gave the full amount but they, gave, they kept back part of it and then in summary they lied and, and then they died they lied about it, and then they died right then and there. And as I'm reading this, and maybe you're asking this question too, doesn't this sound harsh? Right? Like, isn't this really harsh, God? Isn't God supposed to be a God of love, of patience, of mercy? And Ananias and Sapphira, like, they didn't even get a chance to repent. Right? They didn't even get a chance to say sorry. Like, when they got caught, like, okay, sorry. No, that, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, know, I know I'm wrong now. You see, Ananias... His name means God is gracious. God is gracious, but that day you also learn that God is holy. Sapphira, her name means beautiful. But that day you also see the ugliness of sin and what it does to a person. And I, I know this isn't a, a talk of marriage and relationship and what it means to, to be in a relationship here, but I have to address this just a little bit here. Ladies, what would you have done in this situation? What would you have done if your husband or your boyfriend or the person that you're in a relationship with just did what Ananias did? What would you have done? Would you have followed through? And I believe this with all my heart this morning. The submission and following leadership never means following your husband into sin. That when you're, you're following, it does not mean you follow your husband, your boyfriend, whoever it is that you're following into sin because God is the one that we're listening to 
God is the one that we follow. We're not talking about sin. We're not talking about. Uh, we're talking about sin here, not a mistake. All right, you know, a mistake where you shouldn't have moved there, or you shouldn't have bought that, or you maybe you shouldn't have took that vacation. You know, you shouldn't have done this or that. We're not talking about that. There's a warning here, though, for us that we're personally responsible for our actions. We're personally responsible for the sin that we have. There's a warning here that we're individuals that will be called into account before Jesus one day. So watch who you follow. Watch who you listen to. As a wife, don't let your husband replace the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit speaks loud and clear, and God is the one that we listen to. And there's a message for us here, guys, as well. That your sin... Your actions, it never just affects you. It affects the people around you. Your sin is affecting that woman, that person, your children. And there's a strong warning for us here this morning. But there's so many questions here that we like to ask and address. And maybe one of the questions here that we see in this passage is, why did God strike them dead? Again, it just seemed so, 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 so harsh. We're just t- chatting about this in our little cir- prayer circle before this, and Emily brought up it's like a little bit of a you know, slapstick comedy here, where the the, pe- uh, the the helpers are coming in and taking Ananias off and burying him, and it comes back and there's another body, and like, oh, you know, let's put away the shovel. <laughs> like, you know, what's going on here? And then they have to go and do this. Um, and and what, what is happening here? Maybe the question we ask is, why did God strike them dead? And maybe a few reasons. Four I could think of, and maybe there's more. Uh, firstly, God loves his church. God loves his church. We notice that Ananias' severe sin is directed against God's church. That's what who they're sinning against, really. It's about God, but it's against the church. And, and Jesus is the good shepherd, and he gave up his life for the church, so he'll also protect the church. There's a warning and an encouragement there as well. That God loves his church. He purchased the church by his blood, and this kind of love for the church also comes with correction. That he will also correct the church. He'll steer us in a way that is right. Because he won't abandon us. Satan wants to destroy the church from within, but God's also looking over his church. He loves each and every single one of us. And he guides us and leads us to green pastures. He loves his church. But secondly, maybe another reason we think about is that there are real consequences for sin. That this this demonstrates for us that there's a real consequence to Sin, sin, which means missing the mark. Missing the mark of God, doing anything that's not of the will of God. And in Romans 6.23, we read this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see the immediate effects of the sin. We read this in verse 5, When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. It was almost instantaneous. Then some young men, which I spoke about before, came forward, wrapped up his body, and came out and buried him. And then we read in verse 10, at the moment she fell down, that's her, uh, his uh, wife, uh, Sapphira, fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in again, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her right beside her husband. And we live in a time now where it seems like there is no consequences to her actions consequences to our sin and what happens. But here, God is highlighting and magnifying a future reality for us now, 
I shared this before in our sanctuary course during our community learning time that miracles and judgments don't happen right away in the ways that we read in scripture all the time. If miracles happen all the time, they wouldn't be called miracles. They'd just be called everyday events, I guess. But miracles happen only at select times in biblical history where, there, where God was doing something new. We think about when Moses came and there was miracles. Right? Miracles that came, but also judgment against Egypt. We think about the prophets, like Elisha and Elijah. Miracles came, but so did judgments. We think of Gospels, when Jesus came and disciples came. There were, there, there were miracles, and there was judgment that came with it. And now also in the book of Acts, where God is doing something new with the coming of the Holy Spirit, that there's miracles, but also severe judgment that happens right here, right now. And we see that the consequences of sin are almost immediate uh, right here and we see that in how God treats the situation thirdly God will not thirdly (laughs) God will not tolerate deception in his church when God judged Ananias and Sapphira he was also judging Satan actually he's judging Satan God was was letting everybody know that he would not tolerate deception in his church, that this is his bride, that you are his bride, that he cares deeply, that he loves you, that their sin was motivated, and as the spirit, their sin was, it was motivated by this pride, and this pride is this pride is, is a sin that, that, that God especially hates, because it robs him of his glory. Barnabas was being praised, right? Remember, I thought, when I spoke about that, he was being praised, and Satan whispered in the ear of Ananias and Sapphira, saying, hey, look, you can get that kind of glory too. You can also be in that place. Imagine what people would think of you if you did X, Y, and Z. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the evil one that comes to tempt and destroy and lead you away. It was pride that transformed Lucifer to Satan. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to fall. It was pride that led Ananias and Sapphira to do what they did here. And it's a warning for us here today. That it will be pride that will cause us to fall as well. And we should not think we are, we are the exception. And this pride, it opens the door to every other kind of sin. And Ananias and Sapphira, the pride allowed them to think that they knew better than God. They knew better than God, that they could actually trick God. And Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they cared more about what people thought than what God thought. God made an example here, and we see the immediate consequences. Fourthly, before you disagree with me, let me explain <laughs> what this means. I think it's to show us that God is not safe, and what do I mean by this? We're tempted to think that God is safe, but often we, maybe we're tempted to wear shirts that say Jesus is my homeboy, and yes, he is, right? Jesus is a friend of mine, right? Yes, he is. But that leads us to be tempted to think that God is also not holy, that he's not just. See, God is a place of safety, and he's a place that we can go to. He's a refuge. But out of all the words we could use to describe God, I don't think safe is exactly one of them. It's not the best word that we can use. The, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, I'm not sure who's watched the movie uh, by C.S. Lewis, who's written, uh, who's, uh, the, the book's by C.S. Lewis, the movie, I don't know who, uh, who, who, uh, who directed it. But, the C.S. Lewis, I'm not sure you read it or watched the movie, uh, but C.S. Lewis, he writes, as recorded in this conversation between Lucy and Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Is he, is he quite safe? 
I shall feel quite rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking well, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, is he? said Lucy. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. When all of creation is before the throne, John weeps. We think of this passage. And he asks who is worthy to open the scroll. And then we read in Revelation 5, 4 to 5, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He's the root of David. He's the king who triumphs over all things. No matter what it is that you're going through, no matter your situation, no matter our suffering and our pain and our trials, God knows he's already conquered and he's before. Our God is one who is more than able to do what we could ask for or ever imagine. Or we think about Paul as he's trying to describe God, as he's thinking about God, he breaks off into this doxology when he thinks about God's salvation for Israel. We read this in Romans 11, 33-36. All the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen. Our God is not a God that's just safe. Our God is a God that's all-powerful and can do all things. All things are made by him. All things are made for him and through him. And just one more, guys. This passage, the scripture is too good. Colossians 1, 15-17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Church, this is our God. This is the God that we've come to love, and this is the God that wants a relationship with you. He has gone all in for you and for me to experience him. God is holy and he is good and he will not be mocked. He is good and he is holy. He wants a relationship for you. He's jealous for you. He doesn't want anyone to steal his glory and to steal you away from him. And after both Ananias and Sapphira die twice in this passage, we read, I think it's in verse 5 and also in verse 11, great fear seized the people, right? There's this great reverence that comes, this deep reverence again. For God. At least to this. We miss the grace of God and we miss the greatness of God. That we, when we don't understand His greatness, when we don't see His greatness, when we don't understand who He is, we miss the grace He has for us. We miss all the goodness that He has for us. Because Peter, he asked a really good question in verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. 
And the question is for us here this morning as well. What made you think? What made you think that you could do such a thing? Whenever I sin, whenever I fall, what is it that made me think what I thought? What is it that made me do what I did? There, Ananias and Sapphira, he lied about the amount that he gave to make it sound like they're holier and better than others. And Ananias knew this so that his wife, but what made him think this? My son has been watching this movie, Glorax, uh, a lot, uh, a lot, <laughs> Re- recently. And I was listening in, and there was one quote that caught, that caught me between the Lorax, that, that orange thing, uh, and, and also Wensi, uh, which is the character in the hat. And the Lor- Lorax asked this question, which, which way does a tree fall? Which way does a tree fall? And Wensi's like, I don't know, down? Like that, which way does a tree fall? And the Lorax answers in a very wise way, the way it leads. The way it leads. We need to be careful which way we lean. And then the Lorax walks up. I think there's a truth there for us today. What made you think? Another, another way to think about this is this, which way do you lean? What are you tempted by? What, do you, what, what, are, your, what are your desires? What, what causes you to fall? Because Jesus knows that. He wants us to acknowledge that and to bring that before the throne. To allow him to take care of us. And that's exactly the issue, is that Ananias and Sapphira thought they could handle it on their own. So their hearts were divided. They didn't know, should I follow God and listen to God? Or should I follow my own desires and my own heart at that moment? God is never the wrong choice. God is never the wrong choice in those moments. Lead into that, press into him. Because when our whole heart is with God, the mission, as we see with Barnabas, becomes greater than our stuff. And that stuff could be material things, it could be anything. It's greater than anything. The mission of God, when our whole heart is for Him, when we're all in, the mission becomes greater. God He sets us free from our stuff. Whatever it is that we're tempted by, whatever our leanings, He sets us free from that. We see this from Barnabas, who becomes the lead giver, right in that moment. He lays down his life, but he picks up others around him. And what encourages me, and I hope it encourages you so much, is that Barnabas, at that moment, he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't walking with Jesus for three years, and then here he is. He is supposed to represent what a normal Christian is supposed to look like. That he's someone that's been transformed by the gospel, and he went all in. And the text just says it so nonchalantly. He just sold the field and he gave it away. I'm like, that is not easy. <laughs> That is not easy at all. But Barnabas, he wasn't, he wasn't like a special guy per se. He was just a regular guy like me and you. And we come to understand this, that this generosity isn't tied to how much we have or we don't have. This generosity is tied to how much grace we have experienced. It's tied to this grace. And Barnabas, he's experienced this grace like no other, being transformed by Jesus. So he gives freely. Peter asked another question later on, and he asked this this time to Sapphira. He asked this in verse 9. How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? In other words, what would make you think that you could test God and get away from it? And maybe the temptation was this for them to, it was the praise of people. The praise of people, maybe that's your leaning. Maybe it's not your stuff per se, and your material goods, but it's the praise of people, the love of 
love for the praise of people will stifle our love for God. It's always going to be competing. If we don't acknowledge that, if we don't let that go, God sets us free from the praise of people when we follow Him and when we love Him, when we give that up for Him. You see, I'm saying this not as someone that's talking about it from afar, but as an example. That the love of the praise of people will eat you from the inside out. When you live for the praise of people, you lose clarity of what your mission is. You lose your purpose. You lose your identity. You get stretched. And the anxiety grows. And the chaos grows. And the confusion grows. But we have to get to the root of that and lay it all down to God and say, You, God, you take it. I don't want the praise of people anymore. I want to follow you. Don't get rid of the smoke. You get rid of the fire. It's burning underneath. And to illustrate this, which I pressed the wrong button again. <laughs> I'm not sure if you see what this is. You're like, where on earth is this? And this is on earth. Centralia Mine Fire. It started in 1962. And it was a town that was mining coal. And until 1962, where they had a fire pit of garbage and they couldn't get rid of it. So they decided to light that fire pit of garbage into flames to get rid of it, except it got into the mines. And all the mines have been burning for the last 60 years. 60 years, everyone had to evacuate, they had to leave, they couldn't live there anymore because of all the smoke and like people, like cars were falling into the fire as they're driving because was, the, the ground was collapsing. They can't put out the fire. Like they can't, they can't, it, it doesn't make any sense if you're on, on the surface just trying to wipe the smoke away, right? No, you get rid of the fire. You go down, you get rid of the source of the fire, and so it is with us. You don't get rid of the smoke, but you look for the fire. And for me, I had to address that I want to be liked by people. I want the praise of people. I want to do whatever it is, whatever it takes to be in front and to be noticed. And that just eats you up from the inside out. If I keep addressing those superficial things, it never gets down to the heart of saying, I'm just prideful. I just want that, God. That is my desire, and that's the desire that God calls us to lay down before Him, before we accept, before we experience this freedom. I want to end with this as I'm going way over time. This passage shook me the last couple of weeks when I was reading it. It shook me because God is after our heart, that after a stop, he wants to know you. But on the surface, between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira, on the surface, you could not tell the difference. And that shook me. That shook me because they're both generous. They're both raising their hands in worship, maybe. They're both serving. They both know the Bible answers, maybe, maybe. They're even in fellowship and communion with people, but their confessions and their heart confessions are deeply different. But on the surface, no one knew. When Peter wasn't discerning, I don't know how, I wish there was a manual, how did Peter know? I don't know, the Holy Spirit. How did Peter know? Ananias and Sapphira maybe would have made it into the upper, become influential people in the church. Leaders, maybe. Deacons, maybe. Department heads, maybe. People that ought to lead and protect the church. And nice fear may have sat in that place. The message today isn't a message of judgment. 
It's actually a call to come closer to God. For us to come close and to be honest with Him, how He wants our heart, because it's easy to condemn Ananias and Sapphira, but we need to ask the question today, the call to action today is this. We need to examine our own lives to see if our profession is backed up by our practice, and backed up by our heart. Do we really mean everything we pray about in public? Do we sing the song sincerely or routinely? How do you view your possessions? And get this, if God were to do this today in Acts chapter 5 right now, how many of us would be here? That wrecked me. I was just reflecting upon that. So what are you hearing today? What are you hearing? The call is not towards guilt and shame, but of love. Because where God is, that is the best place to be. The call is that there's good news, and that for no matter what, no matter how far away your heart is today, day one could be today, where you come back to Him, because God is still there waiting. This Wednesday, March 2nd, is the beginning of Lent, 40 days to Easter. Maybe that's a call for you to reflect. What is it I need to give up? What is it I need to let go of? Because being all in means giving it all up. Let's pray. Father, we come before you at this moment, this difficult passage, this difficult call this morning, and we lay down all of us for you. We lay down all that we are, all that we struggle with, all our desires are not of you, and we say, God, we want you to be in our lives. We want to be whole. Father, we thank you that today, through the message of Jesus, that you come not with a message of judgment, but a message of love and calling and wooing us to be closer to you. So, Father, at this moment, we lay down all of us and say we want all of you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray.